Hello, everybody. Tell you what, I love our church. And you are our church, so that means I love you. And I love seeing you guys here. And uh, how many of you had, raise your hand if you had a really, really difficult week. Okay. Now, raise your hand if in the midst of that difficulty, you know God helped you through it. And how many of you, now be careful with this one. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't, need, if you don't want to. How many of you love the Lord better now, having gone through that and experienced his grace, than even before the week began? Now, here's really where we're going. How do we love like Jesus? That's what the entire summer series is about. How do we love like Jesus? So, in order for us to really be able to take that seriously, I'm going to ask you to do something with me right now. And by the way, this is, uh, for this, during the summer, the first weekend of every month is Family Sunday. So we leave our children in here. So kids, I want you to do this as well. And I'm going to be reading to you a story. It's going to be pictures. It's going to help you kind of focus a little bit on the point. But I want you to really think. I want everybody to think about this. Everybody. Because I know you're a thinking person. Are you seriously asking God to help you love like him? Is that on your lips all your time, all the time in your prayers? Now, I really want you to think about this because, you know, you could do so many good things for people, but if you don't really love them, the Bible says it's just a clanging cymbal. It's a noisy gong. It's really not beautiful in the sight of God. You can come to church every week. You can never miss. You can do all kinds of nice things for the people that live next to you. But if you don't love, then it's really for nothing. So how well are you learning to love? And how well is God enabling you to love? And that's really the point of this summer series. We want to learn to love like Jesus. And we're convinced that the best way in this church that you can learn to love like Jesus, or at least one of the best ways, is in one of our community groups. And you're all invited to join a community group. And you're gonna hear a lot more about that the rest of the summer. And it's in those community groups that we live out the one another's, like pray for one another, encourage one another, live in harmony with one another, which is what we're gonna look at today. All of those are lived out in community groups. And we really wanna encourage you to be involved in one of those. Well, I'm gonna to read to you an, an adaptation, okay, I've changed it a little bit, of a short story by Oscar Wilde, who was no Christian, but he really kind of wrote some interesting spiritual works. Oscar Wilde, it's called The Selfish Giant. So listen as I read, every afternoon, as the children would come home from school, they would play in the garden of a giant's castle, a giant who had been gone for seven years, visiting his friend Ogre. It was a large, lovely garden, and here and there over the grass stood beautiful flowers like stars, and there were 12 peach trees that in the spring would break out into delicate blossoms of pink and pearl, which in the summer bore rich fruit. 
And the birds would sit in the trees singing. And the children would stop their games in order to listen to the birds. And they would say to each other, how happy we are in this garden. But then the giant returned. He came back to his castle. And when he saw the children playing in the garden, he yelled at them in a very gruff voice, what are you doing here? And the children went, ran away in fright. My garden is my garden, he yelled. And I will allow nobody to play in it but myself. So he built a high wall all around the garden. And he put up a warning, trespassers will be jailed. He was a very, very selfish giant. Well, eventually spring came and all over the country trees blossomed and birds sang, but not in the garden of the selfish giant. There it stayed winter. Birds did not care to sing there. There were no children. And trees forgot to blossom. Even flowers would come out of the ground and see no children and they would go back into the ground back to sleep. Spring has forgotten this garden, they said. So we can live here all year round. Those were the voices of snow and frost. You see, snow and frost loved the winter that never ended. They hated the spring that would come. And snow would cover up the grass with her great white cloak. And frost would paint all the trees silver. Then north wind would come. And then hail was invited to come as well. The giant said to himself one day, I cannot understand why the spring is so late in coming. I hope there will be a change in the weather soon. But yet spring never came, nor did summer. But one morning, the giant was lying awake in bed and he heard music. It was really only a little bird singing outside his window, but it had been so long since he had heard a bird sing in his garden that it seemed to him the most beautiful music as if the king's band was playing in a parade. Suddenly, hail stopped hitting his roof and north wind ceased roaring. And through, in through the window came the fragrance of tree blossoms. I believe spring has come at last, said the giant. And he jumped out of bed to look out the window. And what did he see? There were children sitting in every tree. And the trees were so happy that they had covered themselves with blossoms. Birds were flying about and twittering with delight. And flowers were looking up to the green grass and laughing. But in the furthest corner of the garden, it was still winter. And there, there, there was a little boy standing. You see, he was too small to climb into the tree he stood under. It was a tree still covered with frost and snow. Yet the boy looked up at the giant with such peace and love through the window that the selfish giant's heart melted in an instant. He said, how selfish I have been. Now I know why the spring would not come here. 
I will go down and I will put that little boy on top of that tree and then I will knock down the wall and my garden shall be the children's playground forever and ever. He was so very sorry for his selfishness. He was so very sorry. And when he lifted the boy into the tree, the tree immediately blossomed and birds came and sang on it and the little boy flung both of his arms around the giant's neck and kissed him on his cheek. And the other children, seeing that the giant was not mean anymore, came back into the garden to play. You are welcome into this garden now, little children, said the giant. And he knocked all of the wall down. Now, there's a little more to the story that I'm going to read to you in a little while. But this is our theme, and our theme is this, that there was a selfish giant who met a little boy who had come into the worst part of his garden with love and changed him in an instant to be able to live in harmony with others. Well, that's our theme. And let's watch this unfold in this great passage in Romans chapter 12. Here's the first thing we're going to see. Harmony with one another is an element of love. It's an element of love. Now, I want you to look at this passage that LJ read just a moment before I got up here. But I want you to think of a, of a, I want you to think of a metaphor, okay? Here's your metaphor. I want you to think in your mind of a diamond. Think of a really big diamond with a lot of different facets to it. Because I'm going to read that passage again, and you're going to see one diamond, but I'm going to keep rotating it for you. Actually, the Apostle Paul will. And you're going to see facet after facet of this one diamond. And I'll tell you that the diamond is called love. But there's a lot of ways that love is expressed. Listen to this again. Let love be genuine, facet number one. Abhor what is evil, number two. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Are you seeing this? diamond? Are you seeing all of these facets? It's all the diamond of love. This is what love looks like. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those, oh my goodness, this is hard, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And here's ours for today. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Let love be all of those. Now, my friend, if you want to learn to love like Jesus, this is how Jesus loved. Harmony with one another is a dimension of the love of Christ, and it's one in which God is increasingly putting in your heart as you walk with him. 
Now, what is harmony? Well, think about musical harmony for a moment. Musical harmony is what you get when different notes are played to the same melody. When different notes are played to the same melody. You cannot have harmony without differences. And that is true in a church family as well. And God has brought into this church, if this is your church, God has brought here people who are different than you. Sometimes people who are difficult for you to be around. See, some of us, can I be really, really more honest with you? <laughs> All of us can be difficult at times. You know that's true. I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. All of us can be like the selfish giant. Kids, I want you to think about this for a moment. Do you realize that your siblings, your brothers and sisters, and your parents who all can make you so mad, you can get so frustrated with them. That's true, by the way, of your spouses, husbands and wives. They, did you know that God brought them into your life for a reason? Kids, God's given to you, your brother or your sister or many of them for a reason. It, they are to help you love. They're to help you learn how to love. Now, how are you doing with that? Oh, it's true, by the way, for parents, God's given you children, for those of you who have children, to help you learn how to love even better. He's given you each other for that reason. In fact, the closer you get to people in this church, everybody listen to this, the closer you get to people in this church, you're going to find that God has done you a favor by bringing difficult people into your life who are very different than you so that you can learn how to love them so that you can learn how to love like Jesus. This is a really major reason why a lot of you stay on the periphery of a church. You don't wanna get involved in the difficulty of learning to love like Jesus. It's easier if you just stay on the outside. Don't get involved. Well, it might be easier on the outside, but what you're doing, let me be honest, and you be sober-minded in listening to this, you are forfeiting the strengthening of your love and the experience of true harmony. Harmony is what you have when people who are different from you all learn to love each other. That's harmony. Different people, different personalities, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, but all singing to the same melody of love, all together in Jesus Christ, that's harmony in a church. So let's begin to view difficult and different people at least like this. Even if you don't make much progress in loving them, at least view them. These are people that God is bringing into your life so that you can learn to love like Jesus. That's a fact. But how? Given that it is so tremendously difficult to live in harmony with one another, how can we do it? Point number two. Harmony with one another requires us to be living sacrifices. If we are to stay in harmony, verse 16 says, do not be haughty, 
but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. So everywhere you find harmony, you find humility. In fact, you cannot maintain harmony without humility. And if you have humility, you're gonna find harmony is not so difficult as you once thought it was. You know, composer Leonard Bernstein, when I, when I read this, I, first of all, I looked it up to see if he actually said this, and indeed he did, but I, I read this and it just has stayed in my mind. Somebody asked this very famous composer, what is the most difficult instrument to play in an orchestra? You know what Bernstein said? Second fiddle, because everybody wants to play first fiddle. So that's the most difficult. Because you don't play second fiddle well if you're not humble, if you don't learn humility. Humility is critical in harmony, but how can we be humble and how can we stay humble? And verse one answers it. Here it is on the screen. Let's all look at this. And you're gonna think, if you're thinking, and if you're thinking honestly, you're gonna think this is just really weird. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this is the key to humility, which will bring harmony. First of all, let's, let's really ask ourselves, are you seeing the mercies of God in your life? Now, don't presume the answer is yes, because I can tell you that myself and probably a lot of us live throughout the day out of view of God's mercies, as if we are bringing about our blessings by our own hand, by our own efforts. We forget the great extent of God's mercies to us. So are you able to see the mercies of God? Let me give you a little test. You ready? Here it goes. Here's a little test. This will answer the question, how strongly, how clearly you are in view of God's mercies to you in your life. Here it is. If pride is in your heart, if pride is filling your heart, you cannot see clearly the mercies of God. You might be able to talk about it. Oh, but you don't see the depth of them. Because you know what pride does? Pride makes God's mercies look like something you deserve, like something you've earned. It's a major reason why there is so much ingratitude in America. Listen, there is so much ingratitude in the church. You know, I've been to Africa, I've been to Mexico, I've been to Haiti, where there's true and utterly pervasive poverty. And I have never met more grateful people. There's something about America and there's something even seeping into our own American churches where we have this notion that because we are so independent, because we've got so many opportunities before us, that we actually deserve what we have. We have worked for them. Listen, go to Africa or go to Haiti or go to parts of Mexico and you will find there's not the opportunities to even have. 
But it is seeing how undeserving we are of God's mercy that makes you willing to present your bodies a living sacrifice. We're talking about worship. We're talking about serving God. That's really what worshiping God really means. I know, listen, this is actually a good time to just bring a corrective because we often talk about, hey, it's time to, it's time for our worship service to start, right? Where we sing and we, we almost funnel worship down into singing songs. And singing songs is part of it. But do you know why singing songs in a worship service is part of worship? It's because when you're singing, you're lifting praises to God. When you're singing, you're encouraging people around you. When you're singing, you're magnifying God. You're actually serving him. You see, worship utterly means to serve God. So when we worship and we serve God, he says he wants us to serve God with our bodies. How do you serve God with your bodies? It's not just our spirits, but our bodies. Well, it's with our lips. Right? It's with your lips that you form words to praise God. It's with your lips and your tongue that you encourage other people in their Christian walk. It's with your hands that people right now and a little bit later are going to be serving meals for people who are hungry. It's with your hands that you can make a meal for somebody who just had a baby or somebody that's just gotten out of the hospital. It's with your arms that you can embrace the lonely. It's with your feet that you can walk alongside people when they're in grief. It's with your tongues that you can speak life-giving truth to somebody that has lost hope. It's with your ears that you can rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You see, you serve God with your body, all of your body. God says the Christian on the altar, you have all of me you have my body, you have my mind, you have my spirit. So use me as you will. But listen, what on earth is a living sacrifice? That's a paradox. That's a contradiction. You would bring an animal to the temple in the uh, Old Testament and in the New Testament, and the priest would hand to you, you, not the priest, he wouldn't do this, you would. He would hand to you a knife. And you would put your hands on the head of that animal while it was alive, and you would pray that God would take the sins that you have committed and your family has committed and put them onto that innocent animal. And when the Levites would blow the shofar, those are ram's horns, trumpets, you're the one that killed the animal with that knife. While the priest would capture its blood in a bowl. And then they would hang that animal that is no longer alive, it is dead. They would hang it on a hook. And in, 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 less, than a, in less than two minutes, they would have that animal butchered and they would take fat portions and parts of that animal and they would put it onto the altar and burn it. That's a sacrifice. That's a dead animal. So what on earth is a living sacrifice? There is no such thing. 
or at least they didn't think so. You see, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice is to every single day throughout the day decide my desires, what I want, what I prefer must die. It must diminish. So that God's desires, God's preferences, God's wants can live in me. You've got to die so that God can live and then he can use you greatly. That's what it means to worship. It means to commit by the power of the Holy Spirit that your whole body, all of who you are, will serve God. After all, look at what he has done for you. Look at his mercies. You see, a living sacrifice denies self. A living sacrifice picks up the cross. A living sacrifice follows hard after Jesus. You see, disharmony, let me define it for you. Disharmony occurs when one or more of the notes won't play to the melody of the love. Somebody is out of sync. It may be both, it may be one. We insist on my way. It's when I insist on my way, when my desires are greater than your desires, when my opinions matter more than your opinions, the result is inevitably disharmony. But here's what happens. When I am a living sacrifice, Tim Ackley, there is a constant death to myself and the result is actually life. You will never be more alive than when you become a living sacrifice. But how do you stay on the altar? See, most of us can get on there. God can work through a message. God can work through a song. God can work by the Spirit of God through his word. And you just come to a point, God, take my life, and you consecrate it to you. We're going to close with this. But Lord, take everything I am. You can get onto the altar. But how do you stay there? Because we want to keep crawling off. Let's get back to the selfish giant and see if we can start to see the answer. Let me finish the story. All day long the children played, and in the evening they came to the giant to bid him goodbye before they went home. And the giant said, but where is your little companion? Where is that little boy that I put into the tree? The giant loved him the best because the little boy had thrown his arms around him and kissed him. We don't know, the children said. He has gone away. They did not know where he lived. They had never seen him before. And the giant felt very, very sad. Every afternoon when school was over, the children came and played with the giant in his garden of the castle but the little boy whom the giant loved was never seen again. Years went by and the giant grew very old. He was now very feeble. He did not have much time left to live. He could not play anymore. So he sat in his huge armchair and he watched the children play their games and he admired his garden. I have many beautiful flowers, but the children are the most beloved, beautiful flowers of all, he said. 
One winter morning, he looked out of his window and suddenly he rubs his eyes in wonder and he looked and he looked and he looked because down in the very furthest corner of the garden was a tree covered with lovely white blossoms. Its branches were golden, silver, silver fruit hung from every branch and underneath the tree stood the little boy that he had loved. Downstairs he went. Out the castle's great door he hurried. And when he came close, his face grew red with anger. He said to the little boy, who has dared to hurt you? For on the palms of the child's hands were the prints of two nails, and the print of another was on his little feet. Who hurt you? cried the giant. Tell me, I will take my big sword and I will slay that person. No, answered the child. These are the wounds of love. Who are you? asked the giant, and a strange awe fell on him, and he knelt before the little child, and the child smiled up at the giant and said to him, a long time ago, you brought me into your garden, but today you shall come with me to my garden, which is paradise. That afternoon when the children ran into the garden of the castle after school to play. They found the giant lying dead under that tree, covered with the whitest of blossoms. The key, the key to harmony with one another is a renewed mind. Look what it says in verse 2 of Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, one of the problems that we have in maintaining harmony is in our minds, our perspectives. We'll take this chart that you'll see on the screen into some consideration. See, if a difference between you and me is a matter of preference, you just simply prefer something and I prefer something else, it should not end in disharmony. It should be treated by grace and give freedom. But if the difference between us is a matter of biblical principle, well, that should not end in disharmony either. You and I both should seek wisdom together in God's word and seek to agree. But if the issue of disharmony is clear scriptural precept or command, then we both need to be willing to adjust and obey God. 
What happens so often is someone elevates a preference as if it's a precept, and all of a sudden it's going to cause disunity. Should we sing only hymns in church? Are tattoos allowed on Christians? Should you vote Republican or Democrat? Those are preferences. But you might be putting them into the precept or the command category, and when you do, the only way forward is going to be disharmony with other Christians who think differently than you. On the other hand, sometimes we fail to see that what we think is a, pre is a preference is actually really a precept. Now listen, homosexuality, transgenderism, whether, it, whether you should attend church or not and serve God in the church, these are all precepts. These are commands. These are clear from Scripture. They're not preferences. But still others argue that if you don't show me a verse, then don't tell me what to do, not realizing that wisdom often comes from the principles in Scripture rather than just clear precepts. Not littering. Not throwing trash out your car window is the principle of stewarding God's creation. You will not find a verse that says, thou shalt not throw trash out your window. Now you seek wisdom in principle, biblical principle. If you are able to work, listen, some of y'all need to hear this. You need to take this serious. If you are able to work and you have work available, then you should work. That is both a principle and a precept in the Bible. We live in harmony with each other in this church family when we stay on that altar and humility is in our hearts. We are living sacrifices. We do not think that we are wise. We are not haughty and lifted up. But instead we're pursuing truth and God's word. And what he will do is he will renew your mind so that you can see clearly to know the difference between a preference, a principle, and a precept, and you will have the humility to let go of your own view if necessary. Remember I told you in verse nine, that's a diamond, love is a diamond. And then Paul gives you a lot of different facets of it, what it looks like, let love be, and then he lists out how it should be. That's not possible. That's not possible until you see God's mercies in your own life. And it moves you from the inside out to come onto that altar and say, God, you have all of me. I don't want to keep any of it back. And when God takes all of you, he will drive you to his word. And when he drives you to his word, the word would begin to fill you, which means identically filled with the spirit. And you will have the wisdom, you will have the humility, you will have the knowledge to know what is a preference, what is a principle, and what is a precept? And you will be able to live in harmony with one another. Now let me close 
with the best part of this entire message, and it will be very brief. Here's the best. You know how you change. You know how I change. Listen, if you want to become more like Christ, I'm going to tell you so clearly how that can happen. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You learn Jesus. You study Jesus. You fall in love with Jesus. You begin to behold Jesus. You you begin to consider Jesus in every situation of your life. You begin to come to Jesus. Your heart begins to cry out with David in Psalm 46, God, when are we going to get together again? I miss you. I need time with you. Your prayers become the language of intimacy because you want to love Jesus and you want to be loved by Jesus. The more that you are enraptured by Jesus, the more the Spirit of God will change you from one degree of glory to another. And it happens without you even knowing it's occurring. And it comes from the inside out. And all of a sudden, you can love like you have never loved before. And where before you had principles that you put into the category of precepts and you left a littered, divisive trail in your wake, all of a sudden, you're able to see a lot more clearly. They weren't precepts. Those were preferences. And now I see a principle. And I have more patience and more humility to sit with you and let us seek wisdom from God's word. But this one's a precept. And even though I disagree with you, I still love you and I'm going to pray for you and I will be gracious to you. That's harmony. Two different notes played to the same melody. And that melody is love. Well, here's what Jesus did. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You know what? You want to know the greatest living sacrifice ever in human history? It's Jesus. He lived for the Father, and he gave his life and came back to life. I always do the things that are pleasing to him, John 8, 29. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let your eyes look to Jesus, who made peace between God and believing sinners and pursued harmony with his brothers and sisters, we can go and do likewise. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is so clear. And Father, you make it clear to us. You open our eyes to the beauty of your word. And Lord, what we saw in this message is a diamond called love that has the most radiantly beautiful facets. And one of those facets that we paused and looked deeply at was live in harmony with one one another. We see what we ought to do. We hear what we are commanded to do, but how can we do it? It is to be so enraptured by the mercies that you have shown to us that there is no holding back. You've got everything, God. 